1: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul. Some 41, 30 seconds to Mars. Oh, and two-door Cinema Club. What's going on? Welcome into the Monday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside my co-host Jim Eichenhofer. As we continue with our player recaps, it's the final week today. Tomorrow and Wednesday is we'll talk about Kyra Lewis Jr., Najee Marshall, and wrap things up on Wednesday with James Johnson. Joining us today is Joel Myers, television voice of the New Orleans Pelicans on Valley Sports New Orleans. Of course, you probably heard and watched him on NBA TV and TNT for the last couple of weeks with coverage of the first round of the Eastern and Western Conference playoffs. Good to have you back, Joel. How are you? Really good. Uh, good
2: playoffs and entertaining playoffs, as we saw over the weekend, Daniel. So good to be back in a couple of weeks in Atlanta, uh, but I'm can't wait for the Pels to be in the playoffs once again. That was the tough part of it all, doing postseason, but I'd much rather be doing Pels postseason than matchups between other teams
1: in both the Eastern and Western conferences. Yep, that, that's all. Uh, we'll talk about that a little later, but that's all I keep thinking about whenever we're watching these playoff games is how great it would be for the Pelicans to be in. And hopefully that could be a storyline for us next season. But we are here to talk about Kyra Lewis Jr., of course, the rookie out of Alabama. And it wasn't like, A normal year for the rookies, especially with with everything in health and safety protocols and the draft being later this year and then training camp starting right away. Joel, I'll start with you. Just uh, Kyra had a lot of adversity he had to face in his first year, just dealing with all the other things besides basketball, right?
2: Yeah, but he responded well, and especially for somebody as young who turned 20 at the end of the season. That's how good it looked for Kyra. Uh, Is your prototypical pick and roll? speed guard in today's nba he's driving kick guard although he can get his own and that's what i want to get into a little bit what he can work on during the off season but the pluses right now and i'm really high on him, and i think they did a great job in selecting kyra 13th overall but the plus you don't have to work on his shot he's got a really good stroke he's got a great stroke and he's got depth to his stroke uh, he can get the mid-range he can hit the three as we've already seen uh, and the game started to slow down for him. So there's a lot to be positive about what I really want to see in the offseason from Kyra, maybe more than anything else. And I was in San Antonio when Tony Parker came in as a rookie and a 19-year-old from France. Tony Parker had didn't have any range in comparison to Kyra. He barely had a mid-range game, not much of a stroke. It was kind of flat and give Chip England credit. But what Tony Parker lived in the gym doing was the teardrop. And now we call it a floater or a runner. But Tony would, before he'd overpenetrate and get into the teeth of the defense before the bigs would impact and protect the rim, Tony had the teardrop and he'd frustrate the seven-footers. And that's what I want to see Kyra develop. Because Kyra can come off the pick, get into the paint, and then whether it's a a 10 or 12-footer, it's fine. Take the mid-range or get a little bit closer and take a really high-percentage floater. You know who's doing it in the playoffs at a high level right now but he's in his third year, Trey Young. Mm-hmm. So Trey Young is frustrating him, and I can't wait to see Kyra do that because I guarantee you he's going to have that in his arsenal. He'll add that to his game, and hopefully a lot sooner than later.
1: Jim Eichenhofer would love to chime in, but he actually froze during his Zoom media availability. So we'll get to him in just a second as we continue here with Joel Myers. We talk about his quickness and his speed, Joel. You talk about him getting to the rim, but how's that helped him on the defensive side of the ball? Top 21 ro- among rookies in steals per game I know the defense progressed throughout the season, but what do you see on the defensive side from him using that quickness?
2: Well, I think he's starting to read better, and then it's it's anticipation of what you've seen on film and what the coaches, because everybody's got tablets, and he's he's a good learner. He obviously, he's a quick learner. We've already seen that. So he it, by the rep, he is getting better. So we saw uh, towards the last third of the season, uh, but he's going to be fine at the defensive end of the floor. He's got, the game is slowing down to the offensive end. At the defensive end of the floor, it's a read situation. And then recognition of those reads and plays that he's familiar with that they're going to run against him. Because everybody knows what everybody else runs. Now, can you beat him to the spot? And he's quick enough to beat guys to the spot. So I don't think the defensive end, once he has enough reps, is going to be an issue, Daniel. And also remember, he was 13th overall and if you're a numerologist, if you're into numbers, remember recently what the 13th pick has meant in the NBA draft. Donovan Mitchell was taken 13th overall. Devin Booker was taken 13th overall. Zach Levine before them was taken 13th overall. And most recently, a couple of years ago, getting ready for his third year next year, Tyler Hero was taken 13th overall by Miami. So, there's a lot of things of you looking for omens. I, I like what I saw. The, the, the eye test, Kyra passes it completely. So I don't think there's going to be any issues at either end of the floor for him. But 13th overall, let's face it, has been very good in this league where we look at 8, 9, 10, some of the other slots, not so much. 13 has been a really lucky number in recent years in the NBA.
1: Well, Jim is, is gracious enough to join us here on the Pelicans podcast. He had some technical issues here. But, Jim, uh, I got Joel's thoughts on the offense and defense aside from Kyra. Uh, but just wanted to hear your overall thoughts on, on a season for him. As I mentioned, not your ordinary rookie season, but I thought held his own for the most part. What did you like best about Kyra and his rookie year with the Pelicans?
0: I was excited by just the potential that he showed immediately at the beginning. of the, When he first got on the court, I was like, I think this guy's going to be a good player. It seemed like it was a pretty instant thing. There were definitely areas that he needs to improve upon. Um, He talked about a lot of them in his exit interviews as far as um, just being more efficient and adding strength and that kind of thing. But I just feel like his natural talent excites me, how fast he is. Um, He didn't shoot as well, I think, statistically as as he probably thought he would or a lot of people thought. But, I mean, based on what I saw from his tape in college, I loved the way his shot looks. And, and I thought it looked good throughout the season as well, um, but he went through some of the issues that a lot of rookie guards have. So, and by the way, my internet is having all kinds of problems. So I apologize for that. Um, I hope you guys didn't say a bunch of negative things while I was out of the chat room. But we I will go. I will go back and listen to the part of the podcast where I was bounced out, and you'll you'll be hearing from me later if I <laughs> if I sense any negative in this direction. We were ba-
1: we buried you. We we buried <laughs> you. But that's okay. You'll have to listen. i'm surprised you even came back knowing how bad we talked about you in the span of the five minutes that you missed but that's okay um jim i'll stick with you here and i I talked to joel about the defensive side of the ball and i feel like that quickness can be a a real factor for him uh but joel talked about the game slowing down for him and and his reads would progress uh throughout the rest of his career defensively what did you like from kyra on that side of the ball
0: Just his anticipation, and I think one thing that Stan Van Gundy talked about throughout the season was that Cairo was really good off the ball, but he needs to improve on the ball. But there were times when you can see if if he uses his anticipation and he reads plays, which I think will get better and better as he gets more experience in the NBA, not only as a player, but just understanding what other offenses do and what other teams are trying to do. You see him get a lot of these weak side steals where it's like, you're watching on TV or even sometimes if you're in the arena watching the game in person and you're like, where the heck did this guy come from? You, you had no idea that he was even anywhere near the ball. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's right there. I know Joel's partner, Antonio made the, the meep meep sound a bunch of times just to kind of joke about how fast Kyra is. So um, I think that was the area that I, I was, I thought was great was just, you, you can see how quick he is and just the way he anticipates. I think that's only going to keep getting better.
2: Yeah, and Daniel, let me throw something in as well sure. about, and we didn't travel with the team this year, obviously, and everything was on Zoom, so we didn't get as close as we could with the rookies and some of the staff. So Avery Johnson said some things about Kyra, and Avery's an old friend of mine, a little general. And if, when Avery some, says something, as far as I'm concerned, it's the gospel truth. And he, was, he talked about what a quality person is, is and how dedicated he is to his craft so that's good enough for me moving forward that griff and trajan and the entire basketball op staff brought in a guy you want to build with and that's what they're trying to develop the environment the culture that you need to succeed to grow organically and that's what a market the size of new orleans the size of milwaukee keep your own develop your own and we're the Pels are headed in that direction. So uh, when Avery said that, and I heard about what he said uh, regarding Kyra, that was very strong.
1: And, and Jim, I want to piggyback off that because you brought this up a couple of times. Is his relationship with Teresa Weatherspoon as an assistant coach and how much she helped uh, develop. How was that relationship and how much that helped Kyra in his first season with New Orleans?
0: Yeah, it's funny. That's something that he mentioned a few times going back to even media day where he talked about how his cousin, I, I guess, played for Louisiana Tech, so he he was up there quite a bit um, when he was in you know junior high or high school as a player. So yeah, I, I don't think I know a ton of specifics about what they what they worked on together, but obviously she's an extremely accomplished player, Hall of Fame player. Um, sounds like a lot of the players really enjoy the the motivation that she provides. She seems like the kind of person where every single day when she walks into the gym she's fired up and ready to go and all about you know trying to do everything to get to improve and get better so it just seems like she's been extraordinarily valuable to him as a rookie and i know we've talked about before with various guys how that's just a challenging position to be in to be a, a rookie point guard and then again and then you also add in the fact that there was just so little preparation time so i'm sure he leaned on the assistant coaches and her as much as he possibly could to try to make the adjustment to the NBA.
1: When you talk about adjustments when you were gone, besides talking about you, Joel did talk about what maybe Kyra could work on in the offseason. He mentioned, which I, I really agreed upon, he kind of compared to Trey Young, is his floater game has developed a lot, Trey Young's, and you've seen that in the playoffs, especially yesterday against the Sixers. You mentioned the he wants to work on his strength a little bit during the offseason, but make sure he keeps his speed Jim, when you're looking at his game towards this offseason, what are some of the things you want to see from him come year two?
0: Yeah, he mentioned adding weight and, you know, obviously muscle. Um, maybe we can take him out on one of our dinners out to some places and load him up on carbs and that kind of thing. So that that might be fun, but I don't think he's – I'm not sure if he's in New Orleans this summer. He probably will be for parts of it. But let's, let's take him out in some of these places that – Joel, as we all know, Joel is the, the biggest expert of restaurants in New Orleans, so maybe we can do that, but other than the the, the physicality and adding to his frame, I think um, Stan Gundy talked about what you just mentioned as far as improving his finishing skills, whether it's floaters or shots in the paint, that was something that he struggled with um, over the course of the season. He had some stretches where he was good at it, but then he had some slumps where he didn't um, shoot very efficiently, so um, he shot high thirties from the field and low thirties, mid thirties from three point range. One of the things that I noted in the season review that I wrote about him, um, is that his numbers actually field goal percentage or in shooting percentages were very similar to what Nikhil did as a rookie. So I think you kind of hope for and expect that kind of jump as far as, you know, just bringing both of those, those areas up. He's also an incredible free throw shooter. I didn't notice this until I really looked at the numbers that he was 29, I think he was something like 29 for 30 in the last 30 free throws that he took. So you can see that the makings of a very good shooter are there with him. He just has to apply it to, you know, from the field and from the three point line and just being more consistent.
2: Yeah. And let me throw in something on, on uh, Kyra wants to add weight. I There's a lot of guards that have toned properly without adding a, a lot of weight. And whether it's Steve Nash or whether it's Allen Iverson, or we can go down the list of guys that have utilized their speed. You don't want to put on too much muscle. Uh, Kevin Durant has been the same guy since he came into the league. He has not, and granted, he's not a speed guy, but it'll come naturally, I think, with Kyra, because he is so young, who just turned 20. I think his body and the, the maturation physically of Kyra will come in time. It doesn't have to be overdone. So I think he's really in a good place right now, working with Theresa as you mentioned, working with Tom and Aaron and the entire uh, uh, sports science team that the Pels have, which is one of the best in the NBA. I think they'll take it a step at a time. They're not going to rush into anything with Kyra because they're sitting in a really, really talented young man.
1: All I can picture right now is Joel being the team nutritionist and how troubling the team would be if Joel (laughs) was the one recommending what this team eats. We'd load up on carbs, wouldn't we? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We'd be eating good. That's for sure. I'm not sure if the team would be feeling so hot before each game, but nonetheless, um, before I let you two go here, as we uh, wrap up our player recaps this week, uh, we mentioned the playoffs and, and of course, Joel was in Atlanta for the last couple of weeks doing the first round and we're off to a good start in the second round, at least I would say, with Nets, Bucks, and then uh, the, that Hawks-Sixers uh, game yesterday w- was really fun to watch. Uh, Joel, I'll start with you and end with Jim. Out of the, the four game, four matchups left here in the semifinals for both one, uh, which one is intriguing you the most? Which one are you, are you kind of anticipating here, even with some game twos beginning tonight with Brooklyn-Milwaukee?
2: Well, I think a couple are going to go deep. Uh, and before I say that, and I'll get to those deep ones, uh, what's really refreshing for all of us is out of the eight teams that still remain in the playoffs, five teams have never won a title. Out of the, the most recent is 1983, the 76 Dr. J, Moses Malone, Mo Cheeks, uh, Andrew Tony. I go down the list. Moses and a Bobby Jones. So then you go to The Bucs, their most recent and only one, Kareem. And Oscar, the big O in 1971 and the Hawks, they were still in St. Louis, who's 1958 with Bob Pettit and that group. So I think it's really, it's great to see because over the last 37 seasons, only 11 franchises have won championships in the NBA. So I think it's healthy for all of us now and a beginning hopefully that it's, cause that's what's so great about the, the NFL. There's always somebody who pops up in the NFL. We see a team that you didn't expect, and they're in the Super Bowl. Out of the 32 teams, you can say the NFL does have parity. Oh, there's some teams that get to the the playoffs year in and year out, but there's always a team or two that shocks you in the NFL. So I love that fact in the NBA this year. Five have never won it, and three, got to go back a long, long way. Now, uh, I think Atlanta Philly is going to go deep because I think everybody discounted Atlanta. I didn't because they have so much shooting. It's incredible the way they can space the floor, and Trey Young—you can't measure the guy. He's like Iverson. He's got a huge motor. It's incredible the way he is playing right now. Uh, The other game, the other series that I do believe will go long is Bucks and Brooklyn, and I hope the Bucks prevail. Just for the all the the, everybody in the small market should be rooting for Milwaukee right now. Okay, that and and then Clips and Utah could go deep, and I want to see in matchups the Clips went small against Boban Marjanovic and Borzingas and I want to see if they still try to go small with Blake Griffith at the five whether they use Zubats if they're forced to use Zubats uh, in that matchup with Rudy Gobert and then another I'm rooting for Phoenix I have to tell you they haven't been for 10 years and it's so refreshing to see a team that hasn't been there for 10 years get to the second round and I think they will win them the series with denver because it'd be a different story if jamal murray was there but i am rooting for phoenix i think it's a great story for the nba and kind of a redemption run for chris paul who was cast aside when they don't want him in houston anymore sent him to oklahoma city look what he did there he got them to the playoffs and the hall of famer chris paul has now elevated everybody including devin booker who's an all-star who's an all-nba talent so for us, to me, it's refreshing. It's exciting right now, Daniel. That's how good the playoffs are.
0: You know, Daniel, I, I've been known to not answer your questions that you've asked on some of these podcasts.
1: That's accurate. The first, yes.
0: the first what I want to do is answer the, your question and say <laughs> Denver Phoenix of the four series is the one that I'm the most anticipating and the most the one that I'm most excited to watch. Fantastic. Because I, I know if I started rambling, I was never going to get back to that. So therefore... Right off the bat, I'm, I'm answering your question. Excellent. Um, in terms of the playoffs overall, I mean, Joel touched on a lot of the reasons why I'm extraordinarily happy with the final eight teams that, in the field that's left. I mean, the, as he mentioned, the, the fact that none of these teams have won a championship in a long time, I think is great because it's always good to, for the league overall to have some new teams and new fan bases that get to celebrate and be part of that um, incredible experience. I mean, Philly is the most recent champion of the eight that are left, and that was 1983. So that's pretty amazing. That probably, I'm sure that this has never happened probably in the history of the NBA where you're in the final eight teams and none of them have won a championship in the last 30 years. I would say that there's no way that that's happened before. So that's great. But I think even more to the point of the future of the NBA, um, people always obsess over which teams are in the finals because they want the most amount of people to watch and that kind of thing. And they, I I love the fact that there's a bunch of new stars now that are, are getting to make their name and getting to be on this big stage. I mean, you go from Donovan Mitchell to Devin Booker to Jokic um, to Trey young. I love the fact that there's all these guys that are in their early twenties in the first, maybe four or five years of their career, or even younger than that, that are getting opportunity to become bigger names. We have to develop um, new, new stars. Some of the guys that have been around forever are not, aren't going to play forever. So I think that is, um, is one of the things that I like the most. I'm ecstatic with the way that the West has, has gone so far. I, I, Joel mentioned the small market thing. I feel the same way. I, I'm rooting for some of these teams that um, are from some of the cities that don't get a lot of attention and or places where they've had stars depart. Um, Denver is an example of this. Something else is going back a few years, but with Carmelo, Anthony leaving – um, I, I just, I just really like the fact that we have a chance to see so many different, so many new faces and and that kind of thing. I'm, I, I'm loving this. I think really the Clippers are probably the only team from like a, I mean Brooklyn too, obviously from yeah. a huge market. But one thing, one of the things, quick thing I, I think about the Nets too is I understand why people don't root for them, and I'm mean, to be totally honest with you. I don't want to see them win based on the way that that team came together. But the people that I am happy for, and this may be partly because of my background, I'm, I am happy for the people who are new, were New Jersey Nets fans who stuck with them all the way through. Um, there, there are. I know it's not a ton of people compared to Knicks fans, but there definitely are a group of people who rooted for the Nets and and finally, you know, have a team that's a championship caliber type outfit. I know that that's not going to make people want to root for them, but at least for that that portion of fans, I'm I'm happy to see that they are finally getting rewarded for many years of misery that they dealt with when the team was in New Jersey. A great
1: point that you made, Jim, Uh, when you talk about so many people are obsessed with ratings and how it's going to turn out with what teams are in and what teams are out. I feel like with these eight teams left, I feel like it's going to be so much better for the NBA because you are kind of getting a little bit of a breath of fresh air where this snaps a streak, I think of what eight, nine straight years of whether it was the Lakers or the Warriors or the Spurs or the heat being in the NBA finals, you're going to get two different teams. And I feel like people are going to watch no matter which two teams are in it Um, especially how everything went down in the bubble last year. There's going to be, you've seen the crowds, whether it's Philly, Atlanta, you're starting to see these teams get the home field advantage that they've been cooking for for the last two or three months. So I'm with you and I I think it's going to be really exciting. I was in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we tried to go watch a game, couldn't get into any of the bars because it was packed with Phoenix fans. I feel like it's a kind of rejuvenated that city a little bit on the basketball term. So Uh, I'm looking forward to these, these four series. I think all of them have some intrigue in it. So we'll see what happens uh, come these next couple of weeks here. Yeah,
2: Daniel, don't forget this since uh, 2011, this is the first time LeBron or Steph hasn't been in the finals. So nice to see new fresh faces that Jim was just talking about.
0: And you know, one other quick thing too, I think it's great. Joel talked about the NFL and parody, how it's a lot more unpredictable. I think it's great that there's a team that Phoenix is a two seed. They didn't even make the playoffs last year. The right, jazz are right. one seed. If you go back even a year or two, I think there were a lot of people who said that they don't, their ceiling is limited. They're always going to be one of these teams that wins, you know, 45 to 50 games. They're never going to be able to get, get behind. Them. I think it's great to see kind of the movement of some of these franchises where you, you, you see that you can go from being, you know, a decent team to a championship caliber team as well. So. That's another aspect of this that I really like.
1: Yeah, some great points by both of you. I'm glad we had both of you on to discuss Kyra Lewis Jr. and, of course, the NBA playoffs. Still two more days left of Player Recaps tomorrow. Will Guillory will be back to join us to talk about Najee Marshall, and then Jim and I will put a bow on the Player Recaps on Wednesday with James Johnson. Uh, We'll have a podcast for you on June 22nd as we get you ready for the lottery. Then we'll take a break, and then we'll have some draft previews as well. I'm sure we'll bring back Joel. For a couple of those. Joel, I really appreciate the time. It's always great talking Pelicans hoops with you and, of course, NBA hoops, and uh, I'm sure our discussion will continue off about the NBA, but really glad to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Daniel. Absolutely. All right. Until tomorrow with Will Guillory, for Jim and Joel, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by CP.